the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. People will recognize us and we will recognize them. Let me give you some biblical support for this. You will know others in heaven that you knew on earth. In fact, you will know everyone in heaven. Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. Jesus said, And I say to you that many shall come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. If you've been listening to Verse by Verse for a while, you may have caught on that I'm a fairly outgoing person. I like to make new friends. But it's still uncomfortable to be in a large gathering where I only know one or two people. Does that make you feel a little out of place too? Well, guess what? There will be none of that happening in heaven, as we'll learn today on Verse by Verse. Welcome. Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel is our teacher for these daily radio Bible classes. He's the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our topic for this series of studies is heaven. One of the questions we all seem to wonder about is what we'll be like in heaven. How quickly will we get there? What will our bodies be like? And today, Pastor Steve will show us the answer to another question. When we get to heaven, will we know each other? First question is, when do we go to heaven? The moment we die. So be faithful now. Be faithful now and press on and be comforted by those words. Second question, what will we be like in heaven? That's interesting. What will we be like in heaven? Once we get to heaven, how will we be? Will life be different for us? Well, as I said a few moments ago, the moment we die, our bodies are either placed into the ground or cremated or whatever. And at the resurrection, which is the same time of the rapture, we will receive a new glorified body. But whether or not, whether or not we are in heaven in only our, our souls and spirits, and I'm using that sort of synonymously, or with a resurrected body, we will be perfect without any sin, without any blemish. And I want you to see this. Hebrews, once again, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. The writer says, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the myriad of angels, and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and watch this, to the, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. There will be a time we will just be in heaven with our spirits, not a resurrected body, not yet. But notice what he says, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. The moment you die and go to be with the Lord, in your spirit, you are perfect. You will experience perfection. Specifically, in, we're told, in two different areas. There'll, there'll be a number of areas, absolutely, but two different areas that the scriptures speak of, uh, of perfection. And uh, the first one is pleasure. Pleasure. If you like pleasure, you're going to have perfect pleasure. And we know this because Psalm 16 says this in verse 11. Thou wilt 
make known to me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. There'll be absolute joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Absolute pleasures, not sinful pleasures, but perfect pleasure, perfect joy. Not only that, you will have perfect knowledge. You'll have perfect knowledge. First Corinthians, this is a good verse for you to know and see. First Corinthians 13, verse 12, Paul writes, but now we see in a mirror dimly. It's like looking at a mirror that's, that's uh, not quite sharp. Looking at a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now Paul says, I know in part, but then I shall know fully as I have also been known. There'll be full knowledge. There'll be complete knowledge. Perfect knowledge, perfect pleasure. But in general terms, those are some specifics we're told, but in general terms, we're told that we will be like Christ in character. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. I told you, we're, we're just flying through this, so if you can't keep up, it's all right. Just try to listen, write down the verses, uh, get the cassette tape, and uh, this will be very helpful. Romans chapter 8. This great verse, verse 28, says this, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That is to say that, that God's plan for your life is to make you like Jesus Christ. And he uses all the difficult circumstances to do that. I suppose that... This, uh, this is helpful in illustrating it. Michelangelo, the great Italian sculptor, said that in every block of stone, he saw an angel waiting to be liberated. That was an artist's perspective. In every block of stone, he saw an angel waiting to be liberated. Well, I think that illustrates Romans 8, 28 and 29. God chisels away at us, and God uses all the circumstances of life to sculpt us to be like Christ. The difficulties of life, the heartaches of life, the misunderstandings of life, even the sins that we commit to sculpt us to be like Christ. And at death, he's sculpting us all the time. And at death, we are finally liberated, liberated to be perfectly conformed to his son. He just chisels away at us. Is he chiseling away at you? He sure is chiseling away at me. That's just the normal experience. Don't, don't resist that, but let him conform you to the image of Christ. Let him conform you. Because someday, the moment you die, you're going to be perfect like Jesus Christ. And the process begins the moment of salvation. So we're going to be like Jesus in character. But also, and by the way, let me have you turn to 1 uh, John chapter 3, because this not only says that he's conforming us now, but uh, it also tells us the moment we see him, we're going to be like him. 1 John 3, verse 1. See how great love, how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not yet appeared what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself even as he is pure. What John is saying is we don't know all the details. We don't know all the specifics of how we're going to be, but we know that when we see him, we're going to be like him. We're going to be like him. And if you have this hope that you're going to be like him in glory, it ought to motivate you to be like him today because someday you're going to stand before him. So we're going to be like Jesus, not only in character, but we're also going to be like him in our glorified, resurrected bodies. Philippians chapter 3, 
Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. In other words, you're going to be like Jesus in terms of a glorified body. Now, what kind of a body did Jesus have? Well, we know this. This is the best we can, we can uh, uh, discover. It will be a real body, a spiritual body, because it's not confined to this, to this physical world, but a real body. Uh, it won't be a phantom. It won't be a ghost. He said to his disciples, look at my hands, touch me, for a ghost is not like this. It'll be like that. We won't take the time to look at the verses, but Luke 24, 36 through, through 39. He even ate with them. He ate with them. You have to have a body to eat. I don't know that the Lord needed to have food, but I'm sure glad he did. Because maybe that means that in heaven you won't need food, but it'll just be for pleasure. You won't have to worry about weight. You won't have to count the fat content. You won't have to be concerned about your cholesterol content. Just enjoy. I don't know that for sure, but I do know that the Lord in his glorified body ate. Maybe that's part of the pleasures forevermore. Body that could also walk through walls, he said to the disciples. I mean, it says in John 20, that he was just in their midst. He didn't knock on the door, he just went through. That's why I've said many times that he said, the first thing he said to them was, peace, shalom. Because if you saw somebody just walk through the door, you'd want the first words out of their mouth to be peace. That's a frightening thing. You're just there and he's there. So our bodies can walk through walls. We, can ascend, we will be able to ascend in the clouds. He did. He ascended in the clouds. And... Uh, a body that will never grow old, a body that will never decay. 1 Corinthians 15 speaks of that. It's a glorious body. It's a powerful body. It's a body that will never have cancer eating away at it. A body that will never have age marks. A body that will never have receding hairlines. It's, it's a wonderful body. So what have we discovered today? When we arrive in heaven, we're going to be there the moment we die. Second, we are changed to Christ-like perfection the moment uh, that we die and at the resurrection we will receive a new body, a glorified body, a perfect body. Third question is this, when we get to heaven, will we know one another? Will we know one another? I think that's very important because heaven, for many, will not be a place we look forward to if we don't know one another. One of the great things we anticipate is to be reunited with our loved ones. And if that's not the case, then some might feel it's not going to be a great place for me. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go if that's not the case. Um, and most people say, of course, that we'll, we'll know one another. Of course. It has to be. And I've read a lot of things on this, and many people have quotes. I can give you a host of quotes by, by uh, godly people who have said, of course we will, and are showing the analogy. And I look at that and I say, but where is the biblical support of this? Is this just wishful thinking? Will we be like the first day at school, where you, a new school, where you just kind of stand around, you don't know anybody, and, and uh, maybe you've met the teacher, but you don't know any of the other students, and you just kind of feel awkward? Is that what heaven's going to be like until you're introduced and get used to it? No. No. It isn't wishful thinking. It has biblical support. We will uh, have our identities. We will identify others. We will, people will recognize us, and we will recognize them. Let me, let me give you some biblical support for this. You will know others in heaven that you knew on earth. In fact, you will know everyone in heaven. Uh, Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. Jesus said, And I say to you that many shall come 
from east and west and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Many will come, not just Jewish believers, but Gentile believers will come. And they, who will they dine with? Not people who they don't know, but Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that, were, that, that lived on this earth years and years ago. Another biblical support of this is when Moses and Elijah appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, they were known as Moses and Elijah. They weren't some nebulous form. They're Moses and Elijah. They appeared as unique, the unique individuals that they were, not somebody else. A third reason to support this or biblical proof is the disciples recognized Jesus as Jesus in his glorified body. They recognized him. And probably the fact that, that Mary didn't recognize him immediately in the garden is because he probably had a head covering and, and, and uh, uh, chose not to reveal himself right away to her. But when she heard uh, him say her name, she said, Rabboni. She knew it was the master. The disciples knew it was Jesus. That's why they were so startled. And in Luke chapter 16, the passage that we've looked at a few times, the rich man in, in, uh, in hell recognized Abraham and recognized Lazarus. He knew who they were. Not only that, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which speaks of the rapture and the resurrection. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I think this is a significant passage. It's just before Timothy of 2 Thessalonians and then 1 Thessalonians. The... Thessalonica and uh, Christians were concerned about their loved ones who had died. Would they, would they miss out on anything? Would they miss out on the blessings? And uh, so Paul writes this. He says in verse 13, But I do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. So he's, only talking, he's talking about the dead, but not their souls sleeping, their bodies. That you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Why? Because they're with him now. That's why he's going to bring them. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. That's resurrection. And now here's the rapture. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And notice verse 18. I think this is a key. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. He's speaking about reunion. We're going to all be together with the Lord forever and ever. And, and the whole language here speaks of reunion. Comfort one another with these words because you're going to see your loved ones again and you're going to enjoy them again. So all these verses prove that we're going to have a relationship with one another in heaven will be perfect. That relationship will be wonderful. In other words, death will not destroy our connection with the past. But one final issue, and I, I realize we're going to go a little over 12. Just bear with me. I want to finish this now. But it's one that you'll want to hear about because the question is this. What about our spouse? Will we be married in heaven? Well, there's two scriptures, I think, that address this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is the first one. 1 Corinthians chapter Seven, will we be married in heaven? Paul wrote in verse 29, but this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on both those who have wives should be as though they had none and those who weep as though they did not weep and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice and those who buy as though they did not possess 
and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. Now, everything that Paul mentions in these verses uh, would be just temporary. Uh, marriage, weeping, earthly joy, ownership, this is part of a world order that he says is passing away. Marriage is temporary. It's temporary. Paul's not telling anyone to abandon marriage, just like he's not telling anyone to abandon ownership. But that married life should not stand in the way of our commitment to Jesus Christ or ownership or anything else. That's what he's talking about. In other words, don't become entangled in a system that's only temporary. Don't become so involved in other things that are passing away that you forget your commitment to serve Jesus Christ. Because he goes on to say in verse 32, but I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. In other words, they don't have to be concerned about taking care of a spouse and so forth. They can give themselves fully to service for Christ. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. He is not saying that's wrong. He's not saying back off on your commitment to marriage. He's saying keep marriage in perspective. It's a wonderful gift from God. First Peter 3 calls it part of the grace of life. But don't let marriage be an excuse for your lack of Christian service. That, that's all he's saying. Now, the point that I want you to see is that Paul very clearly says marriage isn't permanent. It won't exist in heaven. Now, withhold judgment on that statement for, for a moment. Let's look at the final passage, and that's Matthew chapter 22. I don't want you to be real disappointed in thinking that, well, I don't want to go there because um, my, I, I won't be, be married there and it'll be terrible. No, it won't be. But Matthew chapter 22, beginning of verse 23. On that day, some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him and questioned him, saying, Teacher, Moses said, if any man dies having no children, his brother as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up an, offering, uh, an offspring to his brother. Now, there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife uh, to his brother, and also the second and the third, down to the seven. And last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven shall she be? For they all had her. Now, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, unlike the Pharisees who did. And the Sadducees are mocking the resurrection with this uh, kind of stupid illustration. And uh, they're also trying to, to test Jesus and trap him and what they did is they brought a principle that Moses taught in Deuteronomy 25 uh, that, that just as we read that if a man died and he didn't have children his next of kin his brother was to perpetuate the line and uh, raise up children to him and so he said well there were seven of them who 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 they going to who's she going to be married to in heaven they all had her as if to say see we've proven the resurrection is wrong but notice how Jesus answered and, and we're not trying to deal so much with the resurrection here, but just pull a truth out about marriage. Jesus answered, verse 29, he said to them, you are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures or the power of God. That's a great statement. You don't understand what the word of God teaches about the resurrection, and you don't understand that God is powerful enough to raise people from the dead. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And there he addresses the question of, even though they didn't really specifically ask about this uh, he specifically addresses the issue of saying there is no marriage in heaven he said you're going to be like the angels that doesn't mean we become angels we are like the angels in this sense but let me let me say it let me make it clear we are like the angels in the sense that they don't marry and we won't be married in heaven though 
Just because you're not married doesn't mean that you're going to uh, stop being men will stop being men and women will stop being women. That's not the case. That's not the case. In heaven, men will be men and women will be women. Abraham was Abraham. He didn't turn into Sarah. And Jesus was in the form of a man, as he is now, the God-man. So we have to ask ourselves this. In, in addressing this, why did God create marriage in the first place? Well, he brought Eve to, to Adam because Adam needed a helper. Adam needed a helper, and Eve needed protection, and she needed a provider. And together, they produced children. That's basically what marriage is about. Now, in heaven, men won't need helpers anymore. They're going to be perfect. And in heaven, women won't need protection or, or uh, someone to provide for them because they're going to be perfect. And in heaven, no one is going to be born there because heaven's population doesn't increase once we all get there. That's why there's no marriage in heaven. Now, let me put this in perspective so to help you because this may bother you at, at first because you're, you're so close to your spouse, maybe some who are not say, I get rid of the guy. <laughs> I gotta wait till, till then. But uh, hopefully it, it matters to you and you say, you know, we're so close and uh, my, uh, my love for my spouse is so deep I can't imagine heaven without being married to them. Well, let me, let me explain. Uh, first of all, you gotta keep in mind that we're gonna be perfect. We're gonna have perfect fellowship and friendship and companionship with everyone and that will include your spouse you will have a better relationship in heaven with the person you're married to now than than you ever did because you're going to have the capacity for the fullest expression of fellowship and friendship it's just that this fellowship and friendship is now going to be not only with your spouse but with everybody with everybody so it's not that you're losing anything you're just gaining everything that's the perspective that you have to have. What you enjoy now in terms of fellowship and friendship, you will enjoy that. You will continue to enjoy that with your spouse. It just won't be limited to your spouse. That's how wonderful heaven is. I can't imagine that. I don't know anything more than that. I just take it by faith. I don't have the capacity to, to fully comprehend that. I, I just believe it because that's what the scriptures teach. So heaven is, is our home. Heaven is our home. There's a, there's a great song. I'm not going to conclude with singing this, but uh, a great song called Finally Home. And it goes like this. Just think of stepping on shore and finding in heaven, of taking a hand and, and finding it God's, of breathing new air and finding it celestial, of waking up in glory and finding it home. That's the way it'll be for us. That sounds good to me. If you have any doubts about whether or not heaven is your home, you can know for sure by leaning into Jesus and trusting Him completely for the payment and forgiveness of your sins. Jesus said, there is no other way. If you have questions about that, call Lakeside at the phone number I'll have for you in just a moment. Thanks for listening to Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He'd love to meet you if you're in the area and looking for a place to worship. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. Call 727-441-1714 for service times or other information, or you can visit www.lakesidechapel.com. That's also the number to call if you want to know for sure that you have eternal life with Jesus in heaven. Today's program was the conclusion of Pastor Steve's third message in this series about heaven. 
To get the entire sermon on an audio CD, call Lakeside and ask for message 7733, What Will We Be Like in Heaven? Oh, by the way, there's another phone number and a website for our blind listeners. If you have a digital talking book player from the Library Service for the Blind and you'd like to have a free audio Bible for your digital player, call 800-838-5924 or visit www.blindbibles.com. That's blindbibles.com or call 800-838-5924. I want to invite you, if Verse by Verse has blessed you, to join our support team. We appreciate the prayerful generosity of the listeners who help us with the expenses of producing and airing verse by verse. We really could not do this without the help of God's people. To find out how you can participate, call Lakeside or visit the giving page at versebyverseradio.org. Oh, and don't forget our extensive audio library where you can freely stream or download all of our previous broadcasts. You'll find it on the Message Archive page at versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. Do you like to stay busy? Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will begin his concluding message in this series about heaven by sharing what the Bible has to say about our activities in heaven. Here's a hint. We won't be playing harps unless we want to. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse. We are here to give you strength between. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.